This is Coda Radio, episode 287 for December 11th, 2017. everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week, sometimes what feels like more than once a week. Why, yes, it's our host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike! Misa fully in charge now! I just gotta, I just gotta always prepare myself for that, that 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 moment where uh, where the Jar Jar Binks comes out, and uh, you know I'm never ready. I'm never ready for it. You'd think I would be, uh, you'd think I would be, but I never am. It's always it always gets me. It always I always I guess I love it. I, I, I think What's I'm coming wrong, around. Chris? Nothing, Jar Jar. You to kill all your friends by <clears throat> accident? Whoa, whoa. Well, you know what? I'm over it, really. You know, because you got to be all about ah, the present. It's a sad cloud on Naboo now, right? Yeah, I really, actually, I, you know, ever since you hooked me up with that beer, I don't know if you really even call it beer, Jar Jar, but boy, have I been using that to pass the kids out at night? It's great. I don't drink it myself, but uh, whatever you put in that stuff that you brought back from that encampment, good stuff. They love it. So ah, uh, Misa Gunkin Moonshine. <laughs> Well, Mr. Dominic, you and I are connected back together again. It feels like it's just been three days since I talked to you last. And, uh, you know, somehow we managed to put together a whole damn show. We even got a couple of people writing in with the feedback and whatnot. So it's like we can do a whole proper episode this week. So it, It's weird. It, it, I feel like we may have woken, awoken the sleeping whatever they are. Mm, lobsters? Brendan writes yes. in with a little feedback we're going to kick it off this week with on a little follow-up from last week's show, 286. Love the show, guys. I wanted to ask, as a dark matter developer that was planning to strike it out on my own at some point, if it's a good idea in the current political and power company landscape. This episode brought to light issues going uh, that route from a policy perspective. We were talking about health care not being affordable for small businesses and sole proprietors and also being very small fish playing in a sandbox of Godzillas like the Apple and Amazon and Google platforms is the option to go solo or starting a small shop becoming less and less of a viable option apps are subject to the whims of the sandbox owner and taxes and healthcare affect all small businesses staying a dark matter developer has always been thought of as the safe option but you trade a lot of freedom but it seems it's the only route to go if you want to take care of a fa- of a family and actually have money to take home what are your thoughts? And I appreciate your perspectives. As always, thanks, Brandon. Ooh. <clears throat> yeah, so before we jump into this, can you read the next feedback, the one, the tweet I linked? Because there are actually two sides of the same comment. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, so then the uh, the next comment comes in, uh, which, which Twitter, at uh, did they do at Dumanuku for you? Okay, we'll see. Boop, 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 yep. boop, boop, boom. I love the show. I'm a liberal, but I understand your pains. With that said, the Kansas experiment failed miserably. So if cutting taxes is cutting taxes really the answer? Also, if business ownership sucks so much, why do it? I'm sure you can easily get a nice dev job. There you go. So, okay, yeah, it's sort of the same different take, but kind of same core question, right? Um, yeah. <clears throat> where do you want to start? Because... <laughs> I, I almost I don't know how to answer the question in a weird way. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like uh, it's like would you be a father again? Almost it's that kind of question. Right, it's, it's like, so yeah, I, w- I was hoping you'd have more clarity because for me the answer to both of these guys is well, it it is what it is, right? Like this this is the way the world works. I mean, what would you say? Would you so so the implication is to be an entrepreneur or to own a small shop, you can, can't have a family. Mm. I mean, that's one of the reasons to do it at the same time though, because you want to be able to have custom schedules like this morning, you know, I decided I wanted to take the new dog for an hour long walk. And so I, I have that flexibility. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I wouldn't have that necessarily all the time at certain jobs. I, so there is, a, there is, we talk a lot about the downsides. The positives are there. It, you really kind of, I, you know, you I think if you have a calling, you almost kind of have to answer it in a weird sort of sappy way to put it. If you have a drive to go strike out on your own and do your own thing, 
you're always going to wonder if you don't do it. And you could always start it as a side experiment while you still have the regular job, like a hobby, like a weekend thing. It is a difficult decision to make. And it does yeah. seem to be getting – It you know, granted too, I started doing this seven, eight years ago. Uh, it was a different – it was a different time too. So I don't know. I don't know if I could answer it the same. I think I, I don't think I, I, mean, I don't think I could be an employee anymore. I think I'm broken as far as being an employee. So I, that, that's what I view it as. I don't think I could ever go back. Yeah, but I will say that like it, it's weird, right? Like the things that like the uh, the Twitter commenter mentions, like politics and taxes. I think as as someone who employs people, you're more sensitive to different taxes than most people, right? Like I'm, I'm hypersensitive to payroll tax. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but I, I'm less sensitive to like straight up income tax. Now, part of that's the old magic of the pass through, but part of that's also, you know, I moved to Florida because like it doesn't have an income tax. Um, it does incentivize weird decisions like that, though, right? Like there is a material advantage to not be in a high tax state if you're self-employed. Because, you know, the market will generally, especially for technology workers, pay you a wage that is the wage as a contractor or as a uh, as a shop. But if you go to a high tax state, you're just giving up that difference. Yeah. And I know a couple of podcasters who have moved to Texas um, to do their their podcast operations simply for the I guess I don't know if it's a tax. They they came from California. So I think it's just. Yeah mostly a tax thing. Yeah, I so I I would say I would say try a side experiment and see how it goes and and then spin up. And, you know, the, one of the things that is also true is I may I may go a different route today if I was starting. That might be the I would still do it. I think I would just do it differently. I would probably be leaner and I probably wouldn't try to grow horizontally much, although we don't already as it is. But, you know, I, I would probably just try to keep it a pretty tight operation and uh if and if i just can't do the work then the work just doesn't happen but i don't know i don't know if that's true necessarily it's easy for me to say now that i'm you know well it's also easy to like go back and second mm-hmm. guess yourself right i, I think i think stuff and you know i know to our you know we, we've been like hinting at politics a lot the difference between now and when we both relatively at the same time start our businesses is not that material right in fact for me taxes are actually higher Right, not lower, because I started it right in the smack of the Bush payroll tax cuts, which is probably why I'm more sensitive to that because it's psychological. Because mm-hmm. all of a sudden, under Obama, those went up, and I was mad. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yep. And it's especially in a high tax state like New Jersey. So, so. now let's uh, let's move from this to uh, Mike was right, and you've been you've been automa- you've been automatically tweeting about this for months, my friend. <laughs> um, that templated yeah. apps in the App Store are eventually just going to start getting kicked out. And JB used to have a few of these. We were we were kind of early on this horrible bandwagon that I didn't really realize what was happening. But Libsyn came to us yeah. and said, "Hey, we're going to bang out a few apps for you if you can give us some art assets and some feeds." And next thing I knew, there was thousands of basically my app in the App Store with just a few elements changed out. Yeah. So okay. So I've had a bot doing some automated tweets. Some of them I thought because they were like my most popular blog posts. And this one because it was basically a warning. And people actually reply like, this is spam. You know, what are you talking about? iOS 10 has been gone. I'm like, no, they changed the rules just because they're not enforcing it right now. You cannot have templated apps anymore. They're going to throw them out. And it took them, what, like nine months to actually do something well, about so it? So it's interesting though, right? It's not just rejecting submissions, but it's actually actively going so back actively- and like, yeah, they're going into the back catalog and removing them. They're uh, they're culling the herd. Is that the? I don't know. Like they're going through and basically trying right. to um, raise the bottom floor of the app store quality. I guess. You know, th- this is this is uh, this is an interesting thing for me um, because a few years ago I was going to develop a product called Finger Foods that was going to be a template app for local restaurants to do basically their own implementation of like a seamless web. Well, isn't there actually kind of a place for that? I mean, that's why WordPress is so huge, right? Well, not anymore. well that, that's exactly what they're trying to get rid of, the WordPress of apps, right? But, there, but, but okay, but it is not practical for – like I, I can think of 30 businesses around here that 
they are never – they're one or two people. You know, it's a mechanic shop. It's a bakery. It's a Thai restaurant. They would like to have some sort of basic information on their website, their business hours. They want to update it for holiday announcements and maybe even book an appointment or take an order. That's it. And they should probably be a PWA. I mean, in, in all in all reality, that two man shop is a PWA. Yeah, but you know what people are doing is they're hiring an IT guy, not a developer. They're hiring an IT guy, and he is selling them like a, a thousand dollar package where he sets up WordPress with like some consumer e commerce crap plugins and says here's your site thousand bucks and that's that's what that's their max that's what they're willing to do that's what they'll do and that's it so okay so there's a couple things wrong here right one it is true that the cost to develop a low-end app has never been lower i mean with tools like ionic and xamarin and you know it, it really is true that for like 15 grand you can get a really low-end app now, people, a lot of small businesses that are using these templates might hear 15 grand and be like, are you on crack? But I'm, I'm going to actually take the – this is not what I believe, but let's play devil's advocate. Apple doesn't want to be in the business of shipping a bunch of shovelware to their customers, right? Yeah, it doesn't really add value to the iOS hardware. It doesn't add value. Like if you look at apps as just a, a complement that they're commoditizing – it doesn't make sense for them to want a bunch of templated restaurant apps or templated mechanic apps or wouldn't templated. It be, wouldn't it be the same reason you know, why Nintendo wouldn't want a bunch of shit games in their e-store? You know, they, you want to you, right, you want something cheap, but at the same time, you want something that makes the DS a valuable gaming platform. Well, and, and people are like agonizing building these really intense indie apps and making nothing. Mm-hmm. So Apple doesn't need the volume anymore. Mm. So this I mean, seems like a this seems like a good opportunity in a way. This is a business oppor- This is a money making opportunity. Yeah, it's not. It's not. How, how so? so? How can you? How can you not make a little money is, off this? Well, because you, so you, you hit it in one. The small businesses' budget is still like a thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. That didn't just randomly change. Yeah, that's true. You're, you're not going to get them to spend the ten or fifteen grand that they weren't going to spend before, right? I mean, listen. Every project, every business, every client has their screen point when they feel like things cost more than they should. Yep. Right. And once you hit that, you're in a place of like. You know, something is wrong. You have to talk about it. Unfortunately, for those that that two man mechanic, I, I, I mean, and this is like not to jump back to the political stuff, but most small businesses could not absorb a ten thousand dollar unexpected expense. Right? They would be insolvent. It's some, most. I mean, many even five. Right? Even five thousand. So, the idea that these guys are all going to go not do their templated app that they're paying one or two thousand dollars a year for and do custom apps is unrealistic. What they might do is go to their WordPress developer and ask for a much more mobile responsive theme and maybe pay a couple hundred dollars for that. So that it looks better on iPhone. Yeah. If 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 it doesn't already. Or frankly they're gonna do nothing because how much freaking business are they really getting in from this mobile app anyway? I don't know. You know, if you want if you want the money from the millenniums, you gotta you gotta be where they're at. I uh, I am not ashamed to admit that I am much more likely to uh, go to a car dealership that lets me book my appointment online, or if I can order my sandwich before I get there, I'm much more likely to go to that shop. It's uh, you know time's valuable and um, minimizing human interaction and doing it through the computer minimizes error. I still talk to the people when I go into their shop, and I'm still I still enjoy interacting with them. But I, I was struggling for a year to get something fixed on my truck through a mechanic. And then I, when I realized just randomly, I thought maybe this small little shop has a, has a website. And I went there and I was able to type in everything that was wrong. So it all printed out on their work orders verbatim for what I wrote instead of being translated through two people. And guess what? They finally fixed the problem. Uh, so I find, you know, it, 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 at least for me, it definitely moves the needle on my purchasing choice. See, it doesn't for me, but that's okay. I mean, it, you know, maybe it does work, but there's a bigger picture here, right, about closed control platforms. And, you know, at one point, Apple was like encouraging these businesses, right? Do templated apps for your local restaurant. And I would, you know, mm-hmm. somebody, I forgot who it was, it was one of these restaurant, uh, these people who sells restaurant apps, was saying, you know, how many ways can you do a pizzeria's app, right? right. It's like four functions. Call me, look at my menu, order online to pick up, order for delivery, and, you Maybe know. Maybe order history. 
order history, right? Coupons, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, there's really only so many things you can do, and if you're following the human interface guideline, there's like three ways to do that. So, uh, and it all fact, comes down I, to I, the should, great artwork. No, I, yeah, I completely agree. It's you no, know, see, this is. I mean, we talked about this years ago, right? And we got feedback that I was crazy. But once the big brands got involved in the app store, it was going to start. They were going to really start conquering sections of it. Yeah, um, and I think this is, you know, Apple's not going to toss the Domino's Pizza app out. Right. Right. No and, matter what. And if and if right. Honda if Honda submitted an app to to manage your car and they made the same exact app for Acura and Honda, they just changed the logos on them, they wouldn't kick that out either. They you know Right, Acura, Honda, Scion, right? If they're all the same app with different colors and different logos, they'd yeah. be perfectly fine. Yeah. So this is the world, right? Like this is to our email's you know, first what, point, really. This is the other part of his email. Is this is the reality that you, if you feel like, well, there's still something I can do in this world where this is how things are, and I'm a small fish. If I can still find something that's unique that will stand out and that I have a passion for, then you should probably go for it, because this is the reality here. I mean, we talked about this a few weeks ago too. With the what was it, the New York Times article? We talked about the frightful five, yeah, but Amazon, Google, and and, and, yeah. and the whole crew there, yeah. That we are in a time of consolidation right now, and and it could change in ten years. It might be different again, but really, the big the big boys are killing the little boys. Like that's you that's know, they're, you know, that's why they're I think people. Them. I think this might be part of the uh, the back the like the background radiation to the net neutrality debate. Because if you think about it, net the whole the to say net neutrality goes down the way that like the people that are really concerned about the way it's it's cableized, everything gets chunked up. It really would entrench your Facebooks, your Googles, your Twitters. It would be a whole nother level of platform lock-in. So now it would be at the at the network level too, not just the market level, or you know, not not just the just the 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 like the big five because they have marketing and they have all these things. But then it would actually be locked in by the very structure of the internet too. And that seems like I can understand why they would be. Why people would be really concerned about something like that? Because in that in that environment, it's not really possible for a Jupiter Broadcasting to exist. No, it's not right. It, it becomes really hard. I mean, and it's it's interesting that like Netflix isn't screaming about net neutrality anymore. Well, they got boxes in in all the major ISPs now. They don't they don't need it. Yeah, it's. Uh... Yeah, I don't even know what to say. We should probably move off of this. Yeah. I'm sure people are tired of hearing about right. our Pauline. Yeah. Uh, you know, we do have Cassandra. actually we do have some interesting hoopla. Let's let's uh, let me take a moment here, Mr. Donovan. Wait, wait, can we do the one more before oh, yeah. the hoopla? Sure. So, this is not the IBM one you put, but there there is a side point to this uh, app templating thing. The only template apps that are exempt from this rule are the IBM Enterprise templates in partnership with Apple. Oh yeah, right. Right, which is the whole thing. That's the whole. That's the whole IBM do, thing. Do you remember last year when that when the IBM partnership came out that I was worried that IBM was now a direct competitor with little shops? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they build template apps for companies. They go and they in build there. template apps for companies <laughs> that you can buy for a reasonable and Apple price. Apple couldn't be yeah. happier. Apple couldn't be happier. That's amazing. And the big difference: IBM's template apps use all of the Apple APIs and are all native. Mm. Hmm. Okay. So that's another thing. Most of these templates they're banning are well, usually hybrid. Maybe that's so. the signal right there. You know. Okay. So let's let's start the hoopla off with an IBM story. First, I want to mention DigitalOcean, though the first sponsor this week, DigitalOcean.com. Go over there and create your account, and then once your account's ready to go, apply our promo code CoderDigital. That'll give you a ten dollar credit, and that is useful because their five dollar a month rig will be impressively powerful. You can run your website on there. I have ran um, Quasal Core as a back-end IRC core that stays always logged in. And it's perfect for that. Next cloud, and you can attach more storage as you need it. In fact, now they even have object storage. It's called Spaces, and it's it's amazing. They have team support, too, if you're working in a project or a company. You can get started in seconds. And every machine you deploy uses SSD drives. Simple API to manage all of it, monitoring and alerting so you can find out how your performance looks and if something goes down. They also have network-level firewall. So you go in there, you say, this is what I want to block, this is what I want to allow. And they block it at their data center level. So it never even hits your rig. That traffic never even comes to your machine. You never waste a cycle on it. You never send a packet. It's beautiful. And they have load balancing as a service. In fact, I'm going to point you over to their documentation, their community section, which is available to everybody. But, you know, go over there and use the promo code 
Coder Digital, help us out. Keep the show going. Let them know you heard about it here. But I'm going to recommend this article to anybody that's on Ubuntu LTS 16.04 and has thought about messing around with high availability and setting up floating IPs and using Heartbeat. That is some good stuff. And this is a this is a this this came out in November and. I've been looking around. I have not seen a better guide on how to do this. It's so well structured with good artwork that um, has it's it's a diagrams that actually have like active data flows and active labels in the diagram. It's it's at a whole nother level. It's at a whole nother level. DigitalOcean's really stepping up their game. When you maximize, when you when you zoom in on the image, it pushes down the note there, but you can still read it all. It doesn't take over your whole screen. This is really how it's done. If this is a topic you want to learn about high availability, this is the guide to read. DigitalOcean.com. You create your account, then use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. That'll give you a $10 credit. You can mess around with the high availability setup for two months for free. DigitalOcean.com. Thank you to everybody using our promo code CODERDIGITAL. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Promo code CODERDIGITAL. Now, IBM has, a new, has announced new code patterns, or you might call them templates, and bot solutions for developers. Today, as we record the show, IBM is announcing new tools for building artificial intelligence, blockchain data, and cloud solutions. The company announced the release of more than 120 code patterns designed to help developers better search for open source code. These patterns do the dirty work for the developer. They are a curated package of code, one-click GitHub repo, and documentation and resources for the address uh, for address and, and address some of the most impo- popular areas of development. All right, the, the the words are starting to run together, but it includes AI, blockchain, containers, and you guessed it, Internet of Things. These patterns will help developers get right to the task at hand, giving them more time to innovate and build, according to the vice president of developer technology and advocacy at IBM. In addition, the company announced an enterprise bot asset exchange solution. Now, this what do you, this is this is not the first one, Mr. Dominic. But I'm wondering what you think about this. It's an exchange that is built on the principles of community. IBM says and leverages a shared economy, so developers can learn from one another while earning prizes and recognition through a point system for active users. With the market for chatbots exploding and only expected to continue to rise, IBM says. This exchange gives developers the ability to quickly discover, configure, and deploy their own bots. A, a bot exchange with a point system yeah. and, a, and a rep system ran by IBM. No, thank you. Yeah? So yeah, Microsoft, go Google, okay. IBM, the, 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 the enterprise old blue, you are uh, not interested. Don't you think it would have like a well, weight of authority almost with it? Like, yeah, our, we're using some of the IBM solutions and uh, we... Uh, okay, but the, de- the deal is not as straightforward with IBM. I mean, I've been trying to get more information on this and I was hoping to get some feedback from them before the show today, but I did not get a reply. Hmm. Um, so the deal, like, like we're using uh, Azure Cognitive Services and Lewis, right, which are kind of the same thing, but Microsoft insists on using two names. And the deal is like you get some for free and then if you use too much, you have to pay them. Right, like that, and that's the end of the deal. <laughs> it's a very simple financial transaction. This whole reputation bot exchange thing is a little too weird for my, for my taste. Is it, are they going to build like a GitHub for bots? Like, are they trying to build a competitor? I don't. It seems like they're trying to build like a bot community. Like yes. Google's the same thing, right? You can like pay for TensorFlow and the other Google services, and you know you get some for free and you pay for it. Amazon, by the the way, who we don't talk about a lot, but they have a huge Amazon machine learning platform yes. and AI platform. Same deal. You get a little bit for free right. and you pay for it, right? Like IBM's thing is just so out of what I would, you know, again, I was really hoping for feedback on this from them because I don't want to mischaracterize it, but it does feel a bit like a GitHub for bots. I, I prefer just to like, if I'm using your platform, I'd rather pay you for that as an infrastructure cost than be in this weird relationship. And, okay, so that was my conclusion there, too. Now, the second thing that struck me about this hoopla was, um, isn't this sort of another validation of the coming bot market once IBM is doing this? Oh, do I think... So, I, you know, I think bots are going to be pretty pretty substantial. I mean, obviously, you know, we're calling ourselves the mad botter now, right? (laughs) Like... I'm a big, uh, big believer in this. I think it is the next big market. Um, it's just, it's just a little immature right now, honestly. 
well, maybe IBM will bring some maturity to it. Not that I'm a some big, huge IBM fan, but the reason why it does give me it gives me some thought is I have been in meetings where I saw the CTO's eyes. Oh, IBM, you know the, that kind of thing. Oh, IBM. Okay, yeah, right. that doesn't happen too much anymore. No, no, I, mean, I know, but that was my experience back in the day. So someone just asked in the Discord, by the way, you can go to discordapp.com slash channel. I don't know how to read that string. So you go to, Well, if you go to discord.me slash Colony, then it'll give you on, it'll put you on our whole server, and we have a dedicated Coda Radio channel in there. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, Thurth in the chat, I hope I said that right, is asking, you know, what does that mean for Alice? Well, it means nothing, right? Alice is built completely on Azure services, uh, the MSBot framework, with some usage of the Gmail and Google Work APIs. Mm. But... You know, in the and we are a BizSpark partner. So, in the worst case scenario, we have to eventually hand over some cash to Microsoft. But that that is literally the end of the relationship, right? Other than the BizSpark partnership. So, there's another uh, story in the uh, Hoopla this week that got me down a path. So, we'll start with the story itself. A new version of Homebrew is out. Mention that to those of you out there mm-hmm. that use it. Homebrew 1.4.0. He, uh, Mike says it's the most significant change, not this Mike, the other Mike, the one that writes homebrew, says it's the most significant change since 1.3.0 and it's a homebrew uh, and a homebrew filters environment variables now, which is going to be really nice like when you're building stuff. Um, so in the process of reading about this, I, I came across an interesting discussion on Hacker News and somebody uh, points out that the Patreon page for Brew which I think you would agree is a pretty huge package manager, and just about anybody doing any kind of development work on a Mac or any kind of sysadmin work on a Mac has Brew installed, or just power users have Brew installed. And the pro- the Brew the Brew project makes $170 per month off of Patreon. That's it. And then um, <clears throat> the developer notes this, and it says, Welcome to open source software. The site I run has 70,000 monthly unique visitors. This is not this is not the Brew developer. This is somebody who's also an open source developer. The site I run has 70,000 monthly unique visitors. It's used by all the top tech companies and brings in about $45 a month in ad revenue. I'm not, I'm not complaining because the only financial costs are my domain hosting. I chalk my personal time up to an educational investment. I'm sure I'm sure Homebrew has a significantly higher value, but you've got to weigh the trade-offs. If Homebrew costs nine ninety nine a year for access to updates, I would pay it. But I know a lot of people would complain. Other people mentioned too how enterprises will use software and never contribute to the open source project. But if if some business came along and took the same exact source code, white labeled it, and charged a yearly two thousand dollar maintenance fee, enterprises would happily pay it. And it is a really it is a really shitty dynamic we find ourselves in where projects that are so important can have so little backing and and uh, the developer of homebrew himself mike said that uh, when he was at google he was told that like 90 percent of their developers use brew and he's making 177 bucks per month what are your thoughts? Yeah, this is uh, this is a classic open source problem of the tragedy of the commons, right? No one values it because it's free. But if it weren't free, it would have a much higher value. And if you tried to make money on it, you would probably die in some sort of mob justice uh, attack because <laughs> it's just that doesn't go well. Um, yeah, I mean, you could you could say the same thing for like Ubuntu. Although Ubuntu actually makes. They make decent money. So yeah, but not, not I mean, not a ton in donations, right? They're making money through other through services and uh, enterprise stuff. Yeah, and OEM uh, I mean, deals. The, the challenge is how would you do like a homebrew pro, right? Right. And, and then we're into the old. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago the buzzword was open core, right? Where the core yes. technology was open source. Right. Then you had professional services or a professional tier on top of it. But did you see that Classic Shell just recently? The developer of this Classic Shell is one of those shells you can install in Windows 10 that makes it look like original Windows. And the developer just gave up, said, I'm sick of chasing Windows 10. Um, I'm done. I'm just going to MIT license the whole thing. Have at it. I'll run the forms for a few more months. What do you think of that kind of abandonware approach where the, pro- the, you know, the software doesn't die, but it's just like, here's a big code dump. It's never been open source ever. There's no development community around it at all. Here's a bunch of code with no documentation. Yeah. It, it, but then at the same time, sometimes that has been successful. You have seen a few things like the Quake engines and whatnot where. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think so it was I don't think but... in this case it's going to be successful. Um, and in the case just, of Classic Shell. I find, yeah, I find it all interesting just from our uh, 
our yeah. Windows 10 workflow episode we did a couple of weeks ago. I've still, I've still been thinking about that a little bit. I mean, as a pretty heavy OS 10 user yourself. Uh, yeah. yeah, super heavy. Would you pay for Power? Like, how much would you pay a year for PowerShell? Uh, not PowerShell, PowerShell, I'm sorry, uh, Homebrew. I wouldn't. No, I, I don't really use it that much myself. I mean, but I legitimately don't really have much use for it because, to me, I would just, I don't know. See, I'd actually pay because, you know, MacPort sucks. If and I, if I, I had to I install doing, a lot of software on a Mac, yeah, I would. Yeah. The, the, yeah. I mean, it really has become the de facto package manager for, for Mac OS. But you know what the real solution to Homebrew's uh, resource problem is, right? Hmm. Apple just adopts it. Oh, well, maybe. Yeah, and maybe just hires them. You know, I used to pay... And it becomes, becomes like AptGet, right? Thinking about it, I used to pay for premium Mandrake repositories back in the day. Wow. Yeah. I had, I had, wow. A, Mandrake, I had a Mandrake club membership that gave me access. Oh, you were in the club? Did you guys have those members-only jackets? No, 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 but we did get a form. We did get a, we did get a form that we could log into. Yeah, I was a member of the Mandrake club. I was pretty proud of it. And uh, so I got access to... Uh, the faster repository. What? It's great. It was great, and I was a uh, you know supporting my favorite distribution. That... All right, let me, let me ask a question. <clears throat> and where is Mandrake now? Uh, yeah. dude, oh, it, it hurts. How's that club going now? It hurts. It hurts. Yeah. Yeah, that's what. Uh, <sighs> they went through a lot of changes. Uh, you know, they went through a Mandrake. <laughs> went through a lot of changes. Mandrake VH1 behind the behind the distro. Yeah, it was a different time back then. All right, so here's well, another little bit of hoopla for you. Um, I guess this is more of like a discussion hoopla. You had thoughts on the most effective way, or I don't know if I should say effective way, but at least thoughts on the challenges around scaling a development team, which I think is something that sometimes when you start up, you don't really give a lot of thought to. So then later on, there's probably a form of, uh, ah, shit, how are we going to restructure this so this works so we can actually add more people to this project? But I'd like to hear your thoughts on this particular scaling a development team, Mr. Dominic. How much does it suck and why should we never do it? Um, I would like to say that it is not like. <sighs> what is somebody brewing? Like, is somebody brewing coffee right now in the background? No, that's not what you hear. You what do not hear coffee brewing. Um, you hear the screams of my slave boy here. He's brewing coffee. Yeah, I do not think you could. <laughs> it's like it's, it definitely sounds like a coffee pot in the background. Don't you have an ad to read or something? I mean, you know, I could if you want. I I, I yeah. was. Uh, all right, I guess if you want to give that guy a chance to brew coffee. Otherwise, we could just sit here and uh, we could just talk about something. Waft it in, yes. Yeah, yeah just, just waft in the coffee experience. Like, all right, well, I'll give you a second while uh, your your boy there makes coffee. <laughs> I can't even believe it. <laughs> go over to linuxacademy.com and uh, go to linuxacademy.com slash coders and sign up for a free seven-day trial. It's a platform to learn more about Linux, a full-featured training library with everything you need to advance your skill set and ultimately your career career and your mind. It's self-paced in-depth video courses on every Linux cloud and DevOps topic, hands-on scenario-based labs to give you experience on real servers, which cuts through the anxiety when you go do something in production or you're taking a test, and they have human beings that can help you, full-time instructors, when you get stuck. Course schedulers, which can help you pick a time frame and actually stick to it, which if you think about it, if you're running your own business or you're working a lot of families and holidays and it is one of those things that slips. It's like exercise, right? It just slips. It's nice to have a have like a system to help you stick to it if you're really if you're dedicated and you want to. They have nuggets too, where if you just want to, you still want to get value from Linux Academy, but you don't want to go say take like a six hour course. Maybe you want to spend forty five minutes. Maybe you want to spend twenty minutes, ten minutes. They have nuggets which are tiny sparkly wisdom bits for like unique challenges and stuff that you can just do for a bit. And study tools, lesson audio that you can listen to even when you're not studying offline and iOS and Android apps to learn on the go, and a community stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. It's Linux Academy. Everything you need to learn and get hands-on with Linux topics. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Go there, sign up for a free seven-day trial, and a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Now, Now, when team scaling becomes an issue... Um, one of the things that sometimes people run into, as you may or may not have noticed from today's episode, is space issues where everybody's in the same damn room, apparently, including the coffee yeah, so, machine. So, OK. <laughs> All right. So for next week's show, we'll have – they're talking now. Watch this. 
For next week's show, we have two rooms, and I will have my own room. Oh, I'm just saying. Pants two, off? Two I suites. mean, like, door closed, pants off kind of room? Or is well, it... Well, I have giant windows next to my desk, so that wouldn't so, help yeah, me too so much. So, pants off, yes, then. I see. And I am in the South, so I might, you know, if I was coding naked, you, you would just hear women fainting going, Mama! Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah, you do oh, give my, people... that you Yankee do, boy! Mm-mm. You do give me the vapors sometime. I'll be, I'll be I honest. I got you. Ooh, the vapors! Yeah. Mm, child! <laughs> mm. Scaling teams gives me the vapors too. Is, do you have tips for scaling down teams? Just making like a real cool yes. tight. Oh, you just lock the door and let them sit outside and don't come oh home for lunch. Then that's how they know they don't have jobs. Oh no! <laughs> wow, I just got a lot of looks. A lot of looks from, ever. from the manservant here. <laughs> um, Get out of here. So okay, scaling up. I would actually say scaling up is harder than scaling down. Yeah, sure. I mean, definitely, because picking people is like the hardest thing ever. Well, it's not only like that. So, so hiring people's hard, especially if you're a small company, because not only do they have to be like competent, but you have to make sure they're okay working in an organization that is like prejudiced against the great state of Cuba, or perhaps you know hires underage children to build desks and brew very weak, bad tasting coffee. It's legal as long as you claim their family. Oh. Crap. I thought it was just legal. I'm in the South. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. I'm following you so far. Um, it, all kidding aside, right? I'm making lots of jokes. And please, 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 please do not tweet me thinking that I'm actually holding children prisoner here. Um, the, the, there, there is something to be said for that, though, right? Like you are hiring people to come into what is effectively a super volatile environment. Because volatile doesn't necessarily mean bad. Volatile can mean, you know, if you're doubling headcount every six months, that's volatile. Yeah, yeah, sure. like, That's like extremely volatile. Mm-hmm. And that's a tough environment to cope with. Yeah, um, I, agree. I mean, I find it hard to cope with. I mean, you, you made a joke because there's a lot of background noise these last few weeks. It's because we're just running out of room in this space. Mm-hmm. Right, so now we have the second space next door, but I haven't. I so our desk. This is a fun side note. Our doors from Lowe's with metal sawhorses from Lowe's as well. Dude, that's badass. That is like yeah. uh, that's 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 but, hardcore. That's well, like stuff for I like Instagram own, promotional uh, posters and stuff. Pictures. That's what they are. Be, because I don't own my own truck, <laughs> um, I have to rely on my father-in-law to pick them up. Nice. And let's just say I've been waiting for a desk for a month. Yeah, you know, Jeff Bezos did it back in the day when they started Amazon. His desk was also a door. No lie, these are the nicest desks we've had without spending like two hundred dollars a desk. These yeah, are good leg room. I think good leg room, and you have lots of room. You know, I like to have a notebook on my right, and I have my monitor and my 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 MacBook. I mean, uh, my computer on a mon- on a stand, so I have two screens, a notebook, a nice mouse pad. It's good times. Yeah, nice setup. So but, other yeah, than the obvious the physical space issues, I mean, that seems like the most that seems like an almost impossible challenge to tackle is the space issues, unless you have a facility that's large enough. Well, I mean, we're just, you know, the answer is spend more money. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's also issues of like processes. And, th- and, th- and this has kind of bit me in the ass fairly recently or literally extremely recently. Uh, someone's booting up a Mac. Um, <laughs> you hear everything. Yeah where the processes that worked at a couple guys don't work at seven, right? And they're not going to work at 10 either. I feel like it's every time, and this is just Mike's crazy theory of scaling, every time you increment an order of three, so, you know, three, six, nine, 12, you have to reevaluate all your processes. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, especially like the like, who do I talk to for this stuff, or well, how come nobody's gotten the mail for the last three days, and like these things, like which were just things fall through the cracks because different people are doing different things, and it's yeah, that is a real challenge. And if you don't have like a if like you don't have a long history as a company where some things are like well established, like Barb's always in charge of the office supplies, so you always know no matter who starts, Barb's getting office supplies. And you don't get, but if you don't got a Barb, you know that stuff floats. You need Barb. You need Barb. You also need like things like style guides, right? So it looks like, and 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 this is a a double pain point because we're also like fifty percent distributed. So, you know, it's it's really hard to maintain a uniformity of style with remote teams, and that can that can hit you in in like dumb ways where it's like, oh Jesus Christ, I use four spaces and they use two, and that's annoying. 
which is something that's hit me. But it can also hit you in, can't we just like standardize our version of Ruby? <laughs> yes. <laughs> is it that hard? Yes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Or even just, even like just the editors, the versions of, or yeah. IDEs people are using. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. like half the team's using Ruby mine. Right. I'm using VS code. Right? People are, everybody, you know, it, 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 it's a standardization problem. I mean, how has, how is everybody sharing files? Are you, are, are some people using their own personal Dropbox account or are some people sending them through Slack? No. Like, so, so this is one thing where, I, where I'm pretty heavy handed. Oh yeah. Everything. Is the uh, Google for work, the uh, corporate oh, Google okay. Drive. Okay, yeah. And we use Slack for everything else. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's actually Slack first, Google Drive second, right? Because, um, and you know, our whole process, we, so this was going to be the topic for today, but I didn't get all my thoughts together. I did an experiment with GitHub and GitHub issues over Jira and, and uh, Bitbucket. And we ended up just completely going back to, to Atlassian, to Jira. Oh, really? Yeah. What happened, my child? Well, GitHub is a little more sexy, I found. But when you're already a distributed team full of people who, you know, because you're distributed, maybe you don't pick up on everything. Maybe, you know, well, let, me, let, me, let me walk that back a little bit. It's not just that we're distributed that causes some of these communication problems. It's that we're super small, right? We're seven dudes. So everybody's doing like three jobs. Sure. And you, you get a phenomenon where if you don't, and this maybe is my personal failing, if someone's not slacking me with a problem or a question, it's all good in the hood, right? Like, like hey, until, until I get a complaint, I don't know there's a problem, and yeah. it's hard for me to respond. Um, whereas if you were, you know, and I even know this, right, with people in the office, I can tell when someone, you know, in the room or the room next to me is struggling. Right. Because even, even you know, we used to have a two-suite office, right, and, and we're going back to that now. It's easy to just like walk in while you're drinking your coffee between calls and be like, hey, is everything going? And get that kind of quick feedback. Remote, it's really hard, especially because sometimes people don't want to tell you they're struggling. Sometimes people don't know that they're struggling. Yeah. They're going down a hole. I mean, you know this as a, as a technology person. I know this as a dev. You could go down like writing some crazy custom algorithm and it turns out on GitHub there's a BSD licensed like Ruby gem that does that in five seconds, right? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's been a challenge. And, and, and let me just finish mm-hmm. up the thought. Jira had a, had a good way of um, – so, okay, so there were two things. We moved off of a sprint model when we moved to GitHub. We moved to more of a pure project-focused Kanban model, if you're familiar with the term. A focus what? Uh, Kanban. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I, I, so that, yeah, I'm getting like deep into the agile. I like it. This is new. I need to learn. So tell me what. I, tell so me. Kanban is just a very simple like Trello style board. Right? Oh, okay. Uh, but the problem is, it takes like a a project focus instead of a sprint focus, which you might think, and I, and I thought was like a good idea to look at the the holistically at the full product that you were building for someone. But it turns out you lose a lot when you do things that way. You you. You don't get those short-term, you know, week-by-week wins that you need to, one, keep the team motivated, and two, keep the client feeling confident. Um, so we've ended up just completely moving away from that. I, I And I would even go a step further. The Kanban method, may, and I'm talking about the project, like up to the from zero to ship Kanban, makes sense for a product if you are, are like a product startup, which is one thing you're doing. Because it doesn't matter, right? You're just running from zero to launch. But if you're doing consulting as well, you have this other factor called the client that you need to manage their expectations. And sprints are good because in the beginning of a sprint, you sit down and you have a meeting and say, this is what we're doing and nothing else, right? For this week, two weeks, whatever it is. At that point, at the end of the week, or at the end of the sprint, right? Some people do one, some people do two weeks. You have another conversation. Did you deliver what you said you would or did you not? If not, why? If you over-delivered, well, that's just sugar on the cake, right? Or whatever, sugar with the medicine. That's perfect. I also find that from a project management perspective, since we don't have like dedicated PMs, it makes it easier for me in particular to like look in on two or three projects and be like, okay, this is what's going on. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but there's so overhead. Con- the downside is the, okay, there's overhead in the structure. But go ahead. Kanban. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna. It's uh, or Kanban. It's K A N, right? B A N. So I'll put a link to this in the show notes. Very interesting. That might be my New Jersey accent. I think it is Kanban, actually, not Kanban. Yeah. But. Okay. Yeah. 
Ah, cool. Well, that's a little discovery there. So now, where does this leave you? It sounds like when you're looking at scaling issues, you're you're actively pursuing um, tooling. Sounds like tooling's a big part of it, and, and workflow. We're pursuing tooling, but we're also we're, so some of these problems we're trying to solve by scaling more. We're trying to hire. Um, like one thing I I think we found is that myself and uh, the magical pony that is Dave can't, can't QC everything. We can't test everything. And it, it would mean that one of us or both of us can't do any dev anymore. Yeah. So we're actually exploring. Ju- and in fact, I had an interview today hiring a quality, a dedicated quality control person or qual- quality assurance person. Really? I know the industry is like totally against that, but for you know, it, it, it's one. Okay, there's a couple things here. Right? You you. You're never going to automate away the need for testing, mm. ever. Mm-hmm. And it is really hard to get the get developers to write their own tests if they've never done it before. And that's bad, even if, if even if you could get them, because the tests tend, and we, we've tried some experiments with it, the tests tend to be pretty shallow. And even for mine, right, like I'm not a good test-driven guy. Like my test, like I can do assertions, right, if nil, whatever, but that's not really like deep smart uh testing procedures so yeah we're we're interviewing actively for that mm. now are you looking for local people though local? on this one we are looking for local people yeah, yeah so, so think of that if you're in the area there are, certain, there are certain roles that with this hybrid model we're finding like general yeah. developers can totally be remote but the like sales support testing i'm finding make a lot more sense on site yeah i i I completely can see that that makes a ton of sense if you can do it that's a great way to go i've i've definitely been in shops where qa was on site and it is a way better process because they definitely feel like they're more part of the team uh you you same thing you get a sense of like oh man this is not a good day for them and that means like what's really going on whereas when it's somebody that's remote it's sort of a black box you get reports back you get information back you get some bugs created and it's just sort of input in output there's no exchange anything more i found it to be really good because for me just as um uh, as somebody that was managing the systems there i could go to these people and they would be an expert on the they would be a subject matter expert generally until they could tell me if there was any problems i mean it was super useful and it was kind of rare to have it on site i think only like two of my clients ever so good for you now, uh, before we get out of here for the day, did you want to talk about how you and your wife are absolutely wrong and apparently have really bad opinions? Or do you okay, want to- so, 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 <laughs> all right, hang on. I want to talk about this. Right, I know. Okay. I'm sorry people who hate when you talk about hardware, but this is bullshit. Wow. So my wife's like, oh, my God, T-Mobile sucks down here. And no, she does not sound like that. But uh, let's switch to Verizon. This is a former Verizon. She was a Microsoft and a Verizon employee. So she's like deep on the dark side. Um, that explains a few things. so much yeah explains a lot right <laughs> and she's like um she's like you have no contact with t-mobile anyway and you on your phones so we could just switch oh and they'll give you a phone i'm like okay she's like let's get iphone 10s i'm like no i don't want an iphone 10 but you can have one if you want so she stayed up till 3 a.m like a nut job ordered herself a black iphone 10 i went to the take it easy, i went to the verizon store and i decided to get an 8 plus i was going to get it in white I'm at the store, and she's like, can you get it in black? And she ended up insisting that I get it in black. I should have known right there that there was some chicanery afoot. Yeah, okay. That does seem a little odd that she was insistent on your phone color. Yes. so last week, I'm in the kitchen. She's doing whatever. I'm playing with the baby or whatever. And she picks up my phone and says, this is pretty nice. So what are you doing tonight? You know, you're working tonight? I said, yeah, I got to do some work. She's like, okay, well, you don't need your phone the whole time, do you? No, why? I'm just going to wipe the phones out and pop, switch the Sims, and then I'll, I'll give you the X. <laughs> I was robbed. It was a highway robbery. Wow. So, so I am now, and, and what was her reason? Are you ready? Mm. Face ID was too much of a hassle. Really? Really? She, she doesn't like the gesture. She misses the home button. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I am now the reluctant user of an iPhone 10. Well, so let's see. How long have I had mine now? I don't remember. It's been weeks. It's been weeks. Um, and uh, it's been a long time since I've thought maybe I will never get another phone again. 
and I maybe maybe ever since smartphones have come out, I've never had that thought. And with the iPhone 10, I'm not advocating anyone get one. If you love Android devices or you love, you know, Sailfish, I am thrilled for you. For me, there's a couple of things about the iPhone 10 that are pretty great. So for fa- for first of all, Face ID is an absolute must-have feature for me from now on. I can't use a phone without it if I'm going to have any kind of biometric sign-in. For me, I'm washing dishes, I'm, I'm playing with my kids outside, and I would always have a problem with Touch ID not working. And I just want to pop off a quick message to somebody or re, you know respond to something right there on the lock screen. And I would always have issues with Touch ID, where I never have that problem with Face ID anymore. And I've mounted where I have my phone mounted, it unlocks just when I look at my phone. So I don't have to touch my phone, which I always had a problem when I'm driving down the road, reaching way across my dash to where I have my phone mount and putting my thumb on there. It was and it was always awkward. Now Face ID unlocks the phone for me, making it super quick and easy and safe to start a podcast and get right back to driving. It's super low distraction. And the car mount I have it in, because I had Android devices in the past, supports Qi charging. So when I put my phone in my mount, it immediately just starts charging it. And I have the same I have a similar pad uh, up at my desk, and I have a similar pad next to my bed. So I, I have literally never plugged a lightning cable into my iPhone 10. I've never plugged anything into lightning port ever in my iPhone. Really? 10. So how reliable? So, so that is the one thing I've been like. Well, I could get one of those. Is it Qi or Key? I think it's Qi, like a you know, qi, like your Qi, like Chia. yeah, like your yeah. Qi energy. I could get like so like. Yeah, to put one like on your bed t- bed table, right? Well, yeah, you, you go and they to have ones like, that also stand it up, which is pretty great. Interesting. So you can still read it and use and and on the desk, I have one that vertically stands it. So Face ID still works while it's in the, which is also great because I can just reach over and flick something. I mean, I'm all in on it. It, it it's pretty it's pretty good. I don't use the animojis that uh, Johnny Ive is such a big fan of and that kind of stuff. But um, so okay, I, I do use so, it for the unlock. You're my unfilter freedom caucus kind of guy here. Yeah, you could also and, just and use I, your old passcode. The, the Discord is asking. Yes, you can. Right, but th- but that feels barbaric, doesn't it? Like, yeah. don't. I, but I, I I have to say I went like tw- I went 24 hours without using Face ID because I'm like, all right, the whole idea that like not that there's any reason this would happen to me, but you know because Face ID is not something you know, it's something you are. It could be unlocked forcibly by, you know, a government official putting your phone to your face. Same thing with a fingerprint worries me. Right. Not yeah. not that I'm doing anything, but like you're giving up your your fourth and fifth amendment rights. Right, right. But that was the sure. same risk on the 10 or I mean on, on, the, touch on, ID. The, on the touch ID. Yeah. Right. The thing that they've also introduced in the 10, which I know we've said before, is kind of nice, is now you can mash the buttons on the side of the phone and it will disable all biometrics and they will require reauthentication to the device using a passcode, which is using a nice feature if you happen to have the option to do that. Now, having said that, all my data is in the cloud, so, you know, <laughs> it hardly matters. I do like, though, that they've thought of that, that they've built in an emergency hardware disabling of the biometrics. I don't think that gets right. enough attention. That's a pretty I, nice feature. No, I think that's smart. I I, I have some – so, okay. Like, the first thing I did, I got the new phone from her, and I decided to use it. And I realized, like, none of my apps look good on this phone. Not a lot of them, yeah. Well, I, you know, and, I, and, some of you know, but even, like, apps I've developed for people. Like, the notch mm-hmm. is an abomination, especially if the app has a light color scheme. Mm-hmm. It looks awful. It's like there's this black protruding thing coming through, you know, your stark, like, light blue or white or whatever. How long have you, you had, how long have you had the phone? Only a couple days. Hmm. I would definitely say by 48 hours, I stopped seeing the notch ever. I, I, for, I forgot there even was a notch until you put it in the show notes, honestly, because I just don't really? see it. Yeah. No, I, maybe it's because I'm looking at my own apps that I've developed, and it's yeah, making oh, for me sure. crazy. Oh, I would totally think that's like, part of it. And yeah. I'm like, you know what? We spent so much time on this UI, and yeah. now it just looks like shit, and there's these bars. Now, I, I, well, okay, just really quick, though, on the apps that are designed for the notch – do you like the way that looks? Because I've actually, yeah. I, I, I've liked what I like about it is the way it groups my cell information and my signal information in the clock. I like that it breaks that up, and I don't have the carrier name there anymore. I just have the data, and this right. this, this is going to sound this if you haven't seen it yet. But the screen is really good, and it the yeah. the scroll looks 
it looks like somebody has green screened an image onto a phone is what it looks like when you're using it. It looks like a Photoshop job. Yeah. Yeah, It legitimately looks like a fake screen when you're holding it in your own hand. And so there's something weird about that when it scrolls past the notch because you have this thing that is almost in the uncanny valley. It looks so weird on that screen because it just – again, it looks like it's green screened on like it's been placed in post. And then it scrolls past the notch, which is this physical thing over the top of it. And to me, it was this – it was very distracting for the first 48 hours. And then after that, I just – I never really saw it again. And and because the apps that don't have – haven't been designed for the notch, that area is just black. So then you don't even see the notch because the screen – the blacks are so black that there's there's – you can't tell where the screen right, ends so, and the so, notch. So starts. this is my problem, right? So like, I, for a while there, I was really into the like the iOS seven era um, and iOS ten, like white, like light dark design paradigm, right? Now, if I get a new app and I'm going to really recommend a, a a darker color theme because I notice like if I so Overcast Marco Armand's podcast app now has a light dark and black mode no and all dark in, yeah all come total black yeah, mode yeah because well, that means then you're not using battery for any of the parts where it's off well and the black blends in with the notch that's true too yeah on the top yeah and, it, and that looks really good but the, like the white mode looks and, and like my email client of choice airmail 3 and my own uh, my old uh, backpoints app both look terrible because they're white yeah yeah, the white I, is the I, harshest. It, black, all black, not like not like gray, but like all black. Like straight up, like pure, you know. Yeah, and I've had, set, I've know, also set my background black. to all black, so I have an all black mm-hmm. background, no nothing on it, and it just it really pops, and it saves a little bit of battery life too. I would think because that's how that's the nature of OLEDs. Now I've I now to the gesture points I. I think it's pretty good. I think the, some of the gestures, there's some gestures that kind of suck, like getting to the control center um, and some of that stuff. But uh, I, I, can't, I can't understate how great it is to just run my thumb along the bottom of the screen. And as fast as I can move my meat stick across the glass, it switches apps. Boom, 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 boom. There's the right app. And I can just swap, 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 swap. I can do it with my pointer finger while I'm driving. I can do it with my thumb while it's in my hand. I can blast between applications in a way I've never been able to do on a mobile device. I don't even bother like with the whole swipe up into the, to the, to the side gesture to get to multitasking. Just swipe through, swipe through them like cards, kind of like I'm on WebOS. And that is a, that to me is an improvement that they should roll out to all the iPhones, even the ones with the buttons. Just put and let you let you do that at the bottom of the screen because that's great. And Android should rip that crap off as fast as possible. Also, think that I think don't worry, Samsung is already on it. I think really Google should be looking back and looking at some of these gestures are done pretty well. And I think part of the key thing about these gestures is the frame rate on the phone is I don't know is it 120 hertz display? It's very high. I mean the frame rates are such that when you do a gesture, it, it's nailed to your hand. It is really more so than the iPhone's ever been. So you get, a, you get a direct sense of how the gesture is manipulating the operating system because it is exactly on point with your finger. And that kind of feedback, I think, is kind of unique to iOS. It would be a little bit harder for Android to pull that off. So that, that's, the, that's why some of these gestures, I think, work in a way that I haven't liked gestures in the past. Not all of them are great, but a few of them are really good. That's why... I, I think it's a pretty – and, you know, the battery life, I don't – I couldn't even really tell you because I have the damn thing on wireless pads all the time. But I generally don't run it down below 40 percent if I haven't been on the charger all day. So it's got a little bit yeah, better Yeah, I, I run life. mine down all – so far I run it down because I don't have – I'm not up with the chi. Have you – and then the – and then, okay, this is the last thing, but the, the, the rear camera, pretty good. You know, with, with the second pop-in and it's optically image stabilized now on the second camera – um, and I'm, I find I'm using that all the time when I'm taking pictures of my kids and the new dog. I find it to be pretty good, pretty, pretty good. Uh, I, I am also running the latest Android on my Nexus 6P, and I feel like it's Android's better than it's ever been to right now. Like the, the, the latest versions of Android feel like Google has put a level of thought and polish into it that is, is way beyond anything they've ever done with Android. So yeah, I'm not like saying that the iPhone is the ultimate phone for everyone, but I'm saying for me, I, I really can't see – what else I need from a phone for a while. They're going to really have to do something that would make me want to switch because this thing is pretty damn convenient now. With, with the fact that I already had all the Qi hardware and that the, that the Face ID eliminates the problems I have with Touch ID when I have wet hands or when I'm driving, pretty big upgrade for me. I think iOS 11 is still a bit of hot garbage. That's still an issue. Yeah, I, I think... 
I mean, that that is a whole other discussion we don't have time for today. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, I mean, software, yeah, software degrades over time, right? I mean, you know, it's one of those things where uh, I think that I think that the the as the project gets larger and the operating system gets more complex, and then the devices start to diverge. This is something that Google had to solve a long time ago. Where uh, well, their OEMs do. They, you know, but now Apple has, they have the iPhone 10, they have the iPhone 8, they have all the old iPhones they're still shipping, plus they have the iPad hardware. There's a lot of deviations and variations probably in the iOS code base now, and it's getting more and more complex. And it could be a topic for a future episode, but not this week, Mr. Dominic. Is there any other wisdom you want to leave the folks with before we get out of here? No, just go to at the Mad Botter Inc. and at Dimonuko on Twitter. You maniac. You know what? I'll follow that up with a little at Chris LAS on the Twitter, at Jupiter Signal for the network, and jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for our live time. Thank you very much for joining us on this week's episode of the Coda Radio Program. If you want to give us your thoughts and some feedback, Twitter is probably the most interactive way to get a hold of us. But if you want to catch us before we go on the air, coderadio.reddit.com. There'll be a thread in there for episode 287. You can also go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact for good old-fashioned email. And uh, we may read your thoughts on a future episode. Thanks, and we'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>